Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Let me invite you, if you brought a copy of the scriptures with you, open to the book of Colossians with me. Colossians chapter 4. So, hey, let me introduce the message to you this way. Um, Y'all know we live in a different time and era than we did once upon a time, right? So, uh, I remember growing up in elementary school, way back in the 1900s, if you're, if you're young in here. All right, so way back in the 1900s, I attended in Easley, South Carolina, East End Elementary School. It's because I think it was on the east end of town. I don't know. But anyway, that's the name of the school. And uh, I remember starting about first grade begging my parents, when will you let me ride my bike to school? When will you let me ride my bike to school? I mean, it was somewhere around a thousand miles away or half a mile. And uh, it was a long ways, but I just, I wanted the independence to be able to ride my bike. And it took me to about third grade before I'd convinced them. And we kind of stepped up to that place. Now, some of you are freaked out right now. You're like, you, you rode your bicycle to school in public without a parent riding in a helicopter above you? I did. I did. And uh, I remember the first time scared out of my mind, scared to death. Not because I didn't know the route. We had practiced the route many times. But because I was stepping out in this new level of independence I imagine it probably freaked out my parents a little bit too because I remember that morning mom coming up and making sure I had everything I needed. My backpack was securely on me and uh, my, my clothes were, were, were all right and everything. And I remember saying, now listen, when you get to school today, make sure you, first of all, she gave me this. I, I don't even know why she said this. She said, make sure you don't talk in class. I don't know why she even thought to say that. I mean, after I'm such a quiet, reserved personality. So anyway, but uh, you keep your mouth shut in class, but be nice to your friends and do the things you're supposed to. Stay awake and study your, your lesson. Hey, listen, while you're riding your bike today, make sure you stay on the sidewalk. Remember, you're going to turn left at the street, and then you're going to go down to where the crossing guard is, and, uh, which seems so much further away because it was like another 300 yards from the shortest route. But the shortest route, I would have had to cross traffic without any body to watch me so I had to go down where the crossing guard was and then trek up Mount Everest all the way up the hill to where the school anyway so she said make sure you turn and you go there when you get down to the crossing guard you wait make sure somebody's watching you when you cross the road and remember I love you now she gave me all of those instructions right at the end of that moment because in her mind those were the most important things she could tell me in that moment. She wanted to make sure she left nothing unsaid that was significant or important or essential for my day. By the way, y'all do the same thing. By the way, Paul did the same thing right here toward the end of Colossians. It's pretty common in letter writing culture of the, of the day, of the era, for as they came to the end of the letter, they begin this bullet point punch list of things make sure you do this be nice to your neighbor and don't and uh and don't talk to strangers and make sure you go to the crossing guard and uh husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands and uh uh, employers take care of your employees because you have a master in heaven and and just like we saw in the last couple of weeks and we see continued even today with these final admonitions the before he gets into the uh, the, the the final salutation but anyway these final admonitions and listen they're not just 
leftovers, like, well, I, I just needed to fill up another half a page of paper. They're important pieces. He wanted to say, before you go, don't miss this. Now, that's what we're going to talk about over these next few minutes together. We're in Colossians 4. We're going to begin in verse 2, and we're going to make our way down through verse 6. And can I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me in honor of the Word of God. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. Colossians 4, beginning in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keep an alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how, to sh how you should respond to each person. Would you pause right there and pray with me? Father, even in these moments, would you help us to understand these words as they relate to your design and desire for us in relating to Jesus and to the world that he came to save. I pray that you'd guide our thoughts, instruct our minds, and then Lord, receive our worship as we respond in obedience. That's our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You be seated. Thank you for standing. If you'd like to follow along, well, there is an outline available for you on your church app I want to share with you three strong instructions, three imperatives, three you can't miss these kind of ideas that Paul closes a letter with here in a message simply entitled Devotion to the Person and Purpose of Christ. Devotion to the person of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus, the person and purpose of Christ. You can find that on the church app, or if you text the word next to the number that's going to pop up on your screen in just a minute, 252-888-2227, um, then uh, you can also get that outline sent directly to you as well. Let me show you these three things I want you to see, these three strong instructions that he gives us for us to look at together. First of all, I want you to notice with me that we are instructed to pursue connection through prayer to pursue connection with God, devotion to God, connection, uh, relationship is another word you might think of, to pursue a connection with God through prayer. Now, Paul's writing here, and he's, he's using a heart. I, want you to, I don't want you to miss the emotion, the feeling that's in his heart that comes across in the letter. He's writing with the heart of a father. He's writing with the responsibility of a pastor. He's writing with the passion of a dear friend. And he charges this church to intentionally and willfully pursue to work toward a strong relationship with God. And he says the way you do that is through prayer. Notice verse 2 again. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Notice he didn't say devote yourselves to connect group attendance, or even church attendance. Those things are good. I'm sure he wasn't dismissing them as something less than good. 
He didn't say devote yourselves to feeding the hungry people in your neighborhood. He didn't say devote. He says devote yourselves to prayer, to communion, to relationship with God, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Those first three words in English, devote yourselves to, are actually one word in the original language. And uh, they mean to cling to or be attached to or to busy oneself with. In other words, this is about, this should be an all-consuming passion for the people of God. And that's what he says in, by way of devotion. One scholar defined the word this way. He said, it means to continue to do something with an intensity of effort, even when difficult. In other words, you're to pour your heart, mind, and soul into this thing called prayer. Let me say to you, I... I've been walking with Jesus for more than a day or two now. And when I read that, it challenges me. Because if I think about, Chris, just name the top three things that you feel least secure about in your Christian practice, in your faith practice, in your religious connection with God. Prayer's got to be one, two, and three. And you're going, man, what a terrible pastor you are, or honest and reflective of your heart. In fact, I don't know anybody walking with Jesus who would walk around and tell me today, I think, I asked this in our Wednesday night group a couple weeks ago. I said, who thinks they really have just nailed their prayer life? You just, you own it, you, you're the example. Do you know not one person in all of the people that were there, not one person said, man, I've nailed it. You know why? Just an insecurity about it. And Paul said, hey, in spite of that, or maybe even because of that, you should focus with passion, with energy, with, with, a, with drive, even if it were difficult. <clears throat> Excuse me. Even if it were difficult, you're to pour everything you have into this, devoting yourselves to prayer, communion with God. So he's telling us this isn't something that we do passively. It's not something we do if it's convenient. We don't, it's not something we do if we think of it. We don't only do it if an emergency pops up and we're like, man, all else is falling apart. I guess I'll pray. We don't do it like that. We don't do it if we say, oh, I just really, really, really want something. So now I'll pray. It's something that we're devoted to on a consistent, regular basis. Let me try to illustrate it another way. Every morning... When I wake up, before I even have my first cup of coffee, I have a devotion. I'm not talking about grabbing Oswald Chambers. I'm saying I have a disciplined practice that I do. I grab a 20 ounce glass of water and I take a handful of, my doctor says these are good for me, supplements. I mean, before coffee, it's stuff that's supposed to keep me alive, well-preserved, well after my usefulness is over. All right, I mean, there's a, well, there's a blood pressure thing there, but that's whatever. And then there's like a B12 supplement, and then there's vitamin C, so I don't get a cold. A teacher told me that, said, drink a lot of, take a lot of vitamin C, because otherwise, those little germ factories called children will make you sick everywhere you go. So I take that, and I've got another multivitamin. I, take, I got all these different supplements I take. I take those in a 20-ounce glass. Do you know, I never wake up in the morning and go, man, I feel terrible today. Let me take some vitamins. Or... Wake up in the morning and go, man, you know, I feel amazing today. Like I need vitamin, like I was impressed overnight to take a vitamin C. So I know, that's not the case. I take them whether I feel like I need them or not. 
Because to not take them would eventually leave me in a spot probably where progressively I would be in a spot where I would have missed them. I probably wouldn't miss them the first day or the second day. But the man, by the third month, I imagine my blood pressure would be through the roof. So allow that word of discipline, of intentionality to speak to what Paul says about how we're to pursue prayer. Pursue devotion, be devoted to, be disciplined toward prayer, communion with God. Then he says, you yourselves. It's a personal devotion which we must all take uh, responsibility for. We We don't do it for others to see or because we have some religious requirements or because everyone else is doing it. But we do it because we ourselves recognize it as essential in our own relationship with God. Be devoted, devote yourselves to prayer. Jesus spoke of this practice of prayer that it was of such importance, not only did he speak of it, he modeled it consistently and he modeled it personally and with great intimacy. He talked about it even in the Sermon on the Mount. Jot down if you're taking notes, Matthew 6 verses 5 and 6. Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray or if you feel like praying, but when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite would have been a The word there is the word for a stage actor who has a face or a mask they would put on and then they could take that face or mask off. He says, don't be like that. Don't be like a religious person who would come and they would put on a show on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning, there's just no go. Uh, He said, "Don't, don't do that. Don't be like the hypocrites. You're not to be like them for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by me. And truly, I say to you, They have their reward in full, but you, but you, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, part of that is to say, hey, the only person needs to hear is God. But then the other part of that is the purpose of my communicating with God in that way is so that I hear from God. My purpose, my focus is to experience the intimacy of communication with Him. I'm to be devoted, devoting myself to prayer so that I can experience God's answer personally. Our devotion to prayer is personal, but it's also attentive. Notice he said, keeping alert, keeping watchful, keeping alerted, keeping vigilant. That word, man, it's like a It's like you're anticipating at any moment something big could happen. Jesus used that word speaking of the second coming. Matthew 24, verse 42. He says, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Matthew 26, verses 40 to 41. Jesus is talking about the disciples who fell asleep during prayer meeting. And he came to them and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching, be alert. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, devote yourselves, be diligent, keeping alert, keeping watchful. What are we watchful for? We're watchful, we're looking, we're alert, looking for both answers and instructions. 
Both answers, God, I'm asking you for this. Instructions, God, you just told me something that I need to do. And to do it with thanksgiving. That's the Greek word where we get the word Eucharist from. It's the same way when we celebrate communion or when we observe the Lord's Supper together. That same consecrated moment of giving thanks to God for what he's done for us, he said that's the same attitude you have as you're devoting yourselves to prayer, keeping watch, being vigilant with thanksgiving. We're thankful in our words, but we're also thankful for the access. You realize that neither you nor I could walk into really any powerful person's office without an appointment. And yet, because of Christ, because of what he did, we don't have to hunt down a priest. We don't have to go find a church that's open. We can stop, pause, and pray. You don't even have to get dressed to do it. Let's don't go too far down that road. But right where you are, wherever you are, at any moment in time, you can step boldly to the throne of grace that you might receive grace and mercy because God made it possible. Man, I don't know about you, but that, that causes a wellspring of gratitude to pop up in me. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping watch vigilantly with thanksgiving, thankful for the way we express our words, thankful for access, thankful for the confidence that God hears, that God hears, and that he's able to answer. You say, well, Chris, you said you were kind of insecure about that. I am sometimes. Because sometimes prayer can be reduced to words that we recite right before we eat a meal. In fact, we kind of, we start training our kids by rote rehearsal very early on. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food by his hands we shall be fed give us our lord our daily bread yep see y'all taught them to your kids too or you were taught by the same parents i was who knew my mom had this influence or words that we say right before we go to bed now i lay me down to sleep i pray the lord my soul to keep if i should die before i wake i pray the lord my soul to take Bless mommy and daddy and all the missionaries and everyone who loves me, amen. And that's how we ended ours at our house. And, but prayer is much more than some rote rehearsal. It's much more than some religious ritual. It's much more than Hail Mary. It's much more. It's a personal, intimate communion. Paul said, devote yourself to that. Discipline yourself for it. Drive in. Why in these last moments of this important letter, of these incredible instructions, of these essential commands, did he begin there with devote yourself personally to prayer? Because intimacy with God is the product of willful and intentional pursuit in relationship with God. And not only do we pursue connection through prayer, but secondly, we prioritize the fulfillment of the mission in prayer. We prioritize the fulfillment of the mission in prayer. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong. Hear me very carefully. There's nothing wrong and there's everything right about praying for our personal needs, our desires, our passions in our heart, the things that we feel inadequate about or the things that we feel great to, to, to it's okay. It's not even okay. It's right 
for us to pray about things that are intimate and personal to us. But we should never ignore the priority of the mission as we pray. In fact, we see that here. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul said, praying, as you're devoting yourselves to prayer with thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now, I don't know about you, but did you notice that after he called them to personal devotion, he immediately requested they prayed for him? You should bring your petitions to God and when you are, pray for me. Pray for us. Pray for the mission. Now that strikes me as kind of important because do you remember where Paul was when he wrote this? He's in the pokey, in jail. He's in prison. He's in prison for his faith. Did you notice what he didn't pray for? Pray that the doors of this jail will swing wide open. Pray for a comfortable mattress. Pray for some good food. Now, it's possible that Paul was in a beach resort somewhere that they called prison. And that everything was comfortable and everybody just met all of his needs and everything was or it could be that Paul was in exactly how you picture prison to be and was going through difficulties but prioritized the open doors of ministry higher than his own personal comforts. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read it, I have to, I have to be honest with myself intellectually and go, that's exactly where he is. He sees something more important than our comfort in the fulfillment of this mission that God has for us. He doesn't pray for his release. He doesn't pray for health. He doesn't pray for better friendships. He doesn't pray for his achy back. He prays that doors would be open for ministry. No, he prays for the mission. Pray that God would open a door for the word and for me to have clarity when I speak the word. First, the door. It astounds me because again, He's not asking for the doors of the jail to be open. He's asking for doors for the word to be open in the places where he's going to communicate it. But he's in jail. What's he talking about? He said, God has seen fit to put this group of guards around me. Pray that I'm able to make the most of that opportunity and that these guards become Christ followers. You mean he'd pray for the prison guards? Especially for them. Wait a minute, pray that the, the council that saw fit to bring pressure that put me here, I pray that as I have the opportunity to stand before them, I pray that one day when I stand before Caesar, I pray that one day when I, when I have to give a defense that I'd have courage and that I would, I would speak boldly, pray that their hearts would be open, that they would hear the gospel. Man, that's, that's an amazing prayer considering the high price he pays for the mission. And yet he's not praying that his price would be lowered, but that he would rise up to the task that's before him. See why I'm insecure in my prayer sometimes? Think about your own prayer life. Think about your prayer journal. Think about the things that you're invested in when you cry out to God. I hope you're as insecure as I am. Actually, I hope you're not, but I suspect we are. 
Because when we think about it, man, sometimes we can turn that so inward about us. Paul's praying that he would make the most of his mission field. I think today if Paul were around today and not in jail, he'd be praying, God, when I go to the ball fields with my kids or to the basketball courts or when I go to work or when I go to my factory or I go to this construction site, I pray that I would represent you well. I pray that you would open doors for people to hear and that you would strengthen me to stand up and say what I ought to say. And did you notice that it, not only did he not pray for personal needs, he didn't pray for the social concerns of the day. Again, nothing wrong with that, but that wasn't his priority. You, don't, you know that the world was as, was as messed up in Paul's day as it is today, right? Do you know that he's in jail unjustly? I mean, he's been imprisoned for a lie, a fake, like he was a threat of some sort. And that's why he finds himself in jail. He's unjustly accused and been incarcerated for his faith. He's a, he's a Jewish person living in an occupied land where the Roman government from a distant place exercised dominion over these people in a land God had given them. Man, I'm telling you, if he had a Twitter account, it'd be buzzing. There'd be hashtag set Paul and his people free all over the place. He didn't pray for that, though. There's abject poverty all around him. How do you know that? What were the concerns of the early church? He's caring for the needs of those all around. Listen, there's poverty, there's political unrest, there's all of these terrible things going on in the world, and yet that wasn't the subject of his prayer. His prayer was about the mission. And he asked, hey, would God open a door for the word? Paul's become, he's well aware of the fact that when God opens a door, God does cool things with a door. Just jot down for reference, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9. Paul said, I was trying to get somewhere else, but I'm going to remain on in Ephesus until Pentecost because for a wide door for effective ministry has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Now, look this way. That right there would absolutely throw today's theology and most churches right out the window. See, some days we look at things, day we say, man, if there's resistance against that, if, the, if we've got adversaries, we must not be doing right. God would want this thing to be rainbows and unicorns and cotton candy if it's really of Him. But the presence of adversaries didn't, it didn't cause Paul to question the will of God. In fact, it really kind of affirmed the will of God for him. His idea his understanding, his definition of effective ministry had little to do with the adversaries because he thought their resistance might in fact mean that he must be doing something good for God. Otherwise, why would hell come against him? Three things I want you to see as Paul understands it here. First of all, only God can open the doors for the gospel. Only God opens the doors. Secondly, only God's word can set people free. That's why, he didn't, that's why he didn't spend his time focusing on all of the other things going on around him. He said, open the door for the word because the word is the answer to what ails you. And then thirdly, God calls us to join him in the enterprise. Pray that God opens the door of the gospel for me. It's an odd prayer request unless 
Paul really did understand Jesus and what Jesus was up to. John 5 verse 19. Notice how Jesus dealt with it this way when he prayed. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, catch us now, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Can I tell you, I don't understand all of that, but the words I do understand about that say this, the Son of God looked to find out where, the, where Father God was at work and joined Him in it. And if the Son of God had to do that, how under heaven could you and I set out on a course without seeing where the Father was at work? If Jesus Himself looked to see whether the father, where the Father was at work, how much more might we all to be seeking after what's God up to that we could jump in with Him? Not only an open door for the Word, but clarity with the Word. I don't want to dwell on this long, but can I say to you, and I have to remind myself of this often, and because uh, it's critical. In fact, one of my mentors from a distance, Dr. Gray Allison, who founded the seminary where I attended uh, at Mid-America, he used to say, take the cookies and put them on the bottom shelf. That was kind of his instruction to preachers. Why? Because sometimes we... We all could get to a place of teaching where when we get done, people are scratching their head and squinting their eyes more than they were when they walked in the room. And here's what Paul said, pray that I'd make it clear, not cloudy. Pray that it would be crystal clear what a person's supposed to do. Charles Spurgeon said this has been going on for a long time. In fact, he commented one time, he said, sometimes when preachers of his day, of course, not now, of his day, of course, said, when the Bible says, feed my sheep and feed my lambs, those preachers translated as feed my giraffes and put the food way up high where the sheep can't get to it. You know, that's true not just to preachers. Sometimes that's true of connect group leaders or just folks bearing witness of the gospel. Do you know what my neighbors, do you know what the people I interact with at lunchtime, you know what they really need to know? Not the mysteries of John's apocalyptic vision of Revelation and how closely I think it aligns to an article I read in Wall Street Journal. They need to know that the Son of God saw we were a terrible mess and didn't leave us to our own devices but came to fix it and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and made available to us what we could never obtain for ourselves apart from His grace. They need to know the gospel. Are you saying Revelation's not important? No, I'm sure it is. Lots of people are talking about it. It's in the Bible. It's certainly important. But it may not be the first thing that some dude needs to know. The first thing you may need to know is what Jesus said I came for. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might understand John's vision in the apocalypse. No, but that the world through him might be saved. I wonder, do we spend enough time talking about the simplicity of God's love with the people around us? Or do we get wrapped around the axle about the last most interesting fact we heard somewhere at some time? Paul said, pray I keep it simple. The mission's the primary reason, by the way, friends, that we're here. If you think about it, what's the one thing, 
we can do better on earth than we'll do in heaven. Will we sing better on earth than in heaven? Y'all just do like this, go no. If you don't interact with me, the second service is gonna have to come sit in among you. Will Will we understand God better on earth than in heaven? No, you're gonna come into the presence of the word. Will we have more peace on earth than in heaven? No. Man, we're covered up with anxiousness. The one thing we can do better on earth than heaven is to preach about God's love to people who don't know him. You can't do that in heaven because there won't be anybody there who doesn't know him as Lord and Savior. The one thing we can do better here than anything else is the mission. Everything else is better there. And while we're here, it's our priority. Or is it? Or shouldn't it be? That's the idea that he presses in here. We're to pursue connection through prayer. We're to prioritize the fulfillment of the mission. And number three, he, he admonishes us, don't waste one moment in word or deed. Don't waste one moment. Don't waste one instance. Don't waste one nanosecond in either what we say or in what we do. As important as personal devotion is and, and open doors for missionaries and, and, and us on mission are, Paul reminds us that we have the same missional charge in our lives every day. Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, toward those who are not of the faith. Conduct yourselves wisely with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace. Let your Facebook post always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. The mission, friends, isn't somewhere else, it's here. Missionaries and evangelists and, uh, and word proclaimers and Bible teachers and counselors and prayer warriors are not those other people, they're us. God's called us as representatives, as witnesses, as missionaries. We don't go somewhere else to tell people who don't know about Jesus, about a God they've never heard of only. But we recognize that everyone around us who's not in relationship with Him is a divine appointment that God has placed us before that they might know Him and that they might be known by Him and that they might know of His grace and His forgiveness. Every person. Well, Chris, I'm so grateful we saw 350 plus baptisms among uh, 29 different unreached, unengaged people groups in three countries. Praise the Lord for what God's doing everywhere else. Yeah, but what's he done in your cubicle where you work? At the ball field where you go? At the restaurant where you frequent among the neighbors with whom you hang out? See, he's called you and I just as much there as he has over there. Paul says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward people who are not of the faith. So in our conduct, he calls us to wisdom. Wisdom is important. Jesus spoke of it this way, Matthew 10, verse 16. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd, wise of sorts. Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. 
He says, oh, I'm sending you out among people that would devour you. Be wise to what's going on. I had a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, he explained this one time in an incredible way. He said, serpents, it's not like they have big brains, but they're super sensitive to what's going on. He said, a little snake sticks his tongue out a lot. And with it, he feels air movement and temperature change and just so sensitive to the things that are going on around him. Be as shrewd as that. I'm sensitive to the world that I live in. And as harmless as dove. I, they're not looking out for me like I'm going to jump on them and hurt them or harm them. I'm not here to harm anyone. I'm being sensitive to what's going on and bringing peace wherever I can. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22 and 23, Paul said, in that sensitivity, he says, to those who are weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. To, I become all things to all men so that by all means, save some. I can do all things, he says, or I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker in it. Here's what he said. I've aligned the circumstances of my life in such a way that the gospel is the priority. And I've aligned everything around it. Every customer I interact with, every job site I go on to, every, every social media interaction is done in such a way that others might be one to Christ. Verses, drop down three verses to 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, they'll not disqualify me. I myself will not be disqualified. We know that gracious words are a byproduct of wisdom as well. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 12 says this, words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious while the lips of a fool consume him. I think nine out of 10 apologies that I have to make on the regular whether it's in my house or in my community or in the church or because I'll say stuff and I watch the words go out as I'm thinking to myself, that's going to bite me. <laughs> How about you? You know what Paul said? Man, just remember every interaction, every word spoken, every opportunity, every act of conduct, intensely, intentionally focus that toward the gospel. What if, in fact, God created that interaction just so that someone would hear of his grace? What if he placed you in a spot that only you could be so that someone could know him in a way that they could never know otherwise? Where's God strategically placed you? South Asia? Then be a good and wise steward of the opportunity. South Rocky Mount? Same. I'm glad. I'm glad my wife's at work and in the nursery right now or in preschool right now because she'd be embarrassed by this. But 
a long time ago, she signed up just to volunteer at the resource center. She is a strong evangelist. And she listens to some really hard stories for this purpose. So, I can be, so she could be sensitive to what's going on and look for doors to insert the gospel and bring them to bear. Why? Because the gospel's the only hope. Don't we think that's why God called you and I together? Isn't that why he assembled us as a people? Not so some other person would do something, but so that we would do it. Where's God strategically placed you? Paul said, conduct yourself with wisdom toward those who are outside. I need to stop, but let me ask you. What if today, what if today is your response to God, you just committed to follow the Bible's instructions? I, not some crazy statement that you heard from a preacher, but I mean just what the Bible said. To devote yourselves to pursuing a deep and abiding connection with God through prayer. To make the choice, the decision to be devoted to making God's mission top of mind in everything that you do. And to make the most of every opportunity with wisdom in both conduct and speech for his glory. What if that were our response to God today? What might he do? Do you think our city might look different? Or at least our workplace or at least our dinner table? You may say, Chris, that seems great, but that's too much for me. It's only too much for you if you've yet to meet Jesus. Because if you've met him, he would never instruct you to do something that he doesn't equip you to do. But if you've met him and you lean into him, you rely on him, not only can you do it, but he's glorified by you yielding to him as he does it through you. If you don't know him, it would be silly for you to leave here in that same condition. Because Jesus came that you would know him. Not that you'd be so, not that you'd kind of know about him, but that you'd know him because he wants to be known. In fact, he's revealed himself to you. In fact, today, if you'd yield to him, he'd show you just exactly who he is and why he created you and what he desires to do in your life. But you have to yield. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com next or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.